is right. This is a new, kind of a new section in the book of Matthew because Jesus, he is uh, beginning to tell us what we can expect when we follow him. And I told you pretty much the next three sermons, this is uh, probably why a lot of people got sick, is because I said it's going to sound like for the next three sermons, I'm trying to talk you out of being a Christian. And the reason that it's going to sound that way is because that's what Jesus does. And so I'm just trying to imitate Jesus. Jesus, very often, it sounded like he was trying to talk people out of following him because he told them in brutal honesty what they could expect when they do decide to follow him. And a lot of times people will try to talk you out of things if they think you're not ready for it, right? Like this kind of happened to me recently because uh, Brian and I, we were completing our training over at Perry Correctional Institute. And um, as we were there, we were in the chaplain's office for our orientation and an inmate walked in and he was serving a 30-year sentence. He had done 20 years straight. And I think it was his first time ever in the chaplain's office because he walks in, he sees the chaplain, he sees the two of us, and he goes, oh, man, this prison's got three chaplains? That's crazy. And I was like, no, 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 uh, that's, that's, not, that's not right. And the chaplain was correct. He was like, no, no, they're not chaplains. They're here for orientation. And this guy, he looked at me, and he goes, man, are you for real? Brian will back me up on this. This guy looks at me, he goes, man, are you for real? You're like 19 or something. <laughs> so, yes, church, okay. Someone thought I looked 19. Y'all just plug that away, all right? I'm not as old as I I am, but anyways. So he was like, you're like 19 or something. Are you sure you want to sign up for this? And I I resonate with what he was saying, but I I just looked back and I was like, brother, I'm already in it. Like, (laughs) I'm here. This is what I'm about. And and see, that man understood something. He, He knew something and he was trying to warn me of something. He was saying, listen, it's not pretty in here. It's messy in here. It's dangerous in here. This is where they keep dangerous people, and they're not going to be nice to you just because you're a Christian. If anything, that's going to put a bigger target on your back. Are you really wanting to sign up for that? Do you know what you're getting involved in? And I just remember thinking to myself, this is exactly what I signed up for the moment I trusted in Christ. I was expecting this. But see, here's my concern, right? My concern as a Christian and as a pastor especially is I'm incredibly concerned that too many Christians today don't actually know what they're signing up for when they follow Jesus. When they trust in Christ, I don't actually think they know what they're signing up for. And in large part, the culture is to blame for that because in large part, our culture has this idea of this fairy tale version of Christianity that is totally incompatible with biblical Christianity, right? If you think about the popular idea that goes around in our world today, people will say, well, hey, listen, you know, if you will just become a Christian, if you'll just trust in Jesus and believe in him, life will be easy and carefree and stress-free and you'll never get sick and nothing bad will ever happen to you and life will just be sunshine and rainbows all the time. So you should trust in him. Or they'll say something like, hey, trust in Jesus and he can make you rich because you sow one dollar and then you get a million back somehow. That's a whole other sermon. I'm not going to preach that one today. But that's the popular idea that goes around in our world today. Just come to Jesus, trust in him, and life will be easy. It'll be carefree. Nothing bad will ever happen to you. You know, we even have little pithy sayings that go along with this. People say, oh, you know, the safest place to be is right in the middle of God's will. And every time I hear that, I'm thinking, have you even read the Bible? Have you even read the Bible? The safest place to be is in the middle of God's will. Are you kidding me? Tell that to Jonah. 
as it's in the the belly of the fish who has swallowed him up and taken him to Nineveh. The the safest place to be is right in the middle of God's will. Why don't you say that to Jesus as he's hanging on a cross? Don't come at me with that nonsense because when I read the Bible, I see that the scariest, most dangerous place to be is right in the middle of God's will. And so here's what we have today. We, we have a, a, countless, a countless number of people today who call themselves Christians, who have almost no concept of who God actually is, of what God is actually doing, of what his kingdom looks like, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what we're left with today. When you come to faith in Christ, do you actually know what you're signing up for? Because Jesus is going to tell us in this passage, and it's not going to be pretty. And again, he is trying to get people to count the cost of discipleship. And so he says here, all who pursue Christ will be persecuted by the world. It's a guarantee. You're not exempt. Don't read that and think, oh, thank God that's not me. I'm I'm talking to you. All who pursue Christ will be persecuted by the world. It is a guarantee. And so if that's true, and it is and this is what we can expect, then what do we need to be able to endure the hatred and persecution of the world? That's what I want us to consider as we study this passage. Jesus, he's going to just give it to us very honestly. And so we need to consider, well, what do we need to be able to endure the hatred and persecution of the world? And when you read this passage, the first thing that you realize is that we are not signing up for that easy, carefree life that so many people think the faith is today. Notice what he says there in verse 16. Jesus says, all right, hey, I'm about to send you out, so here's what it's going to look like. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Now that's kind of crazy, is it not? I mean, just think about this for a second. We all know this verse. I know you can quote it. Think about how crazy this is. No shepherd would ever do this. They'd be fired immediately. Like the shepherd's one job is to protect the flock and make sure that no wolves come in and that the the flock is never around any wolves. And Jesus goes, what if we did the exact opposite? (laughs) What if I sent my sheep out into the midst of wolves? So I want you to notice how immediately... This contradicts that idea that Jesus would never lead his people into danger. It it definitely contradicts that idea that the safest place to be is right in the middle of God's will because Jesus says here, it is my will for you to be in the midst of hungry, ravenous wolves as you are a bunch of sheep. And so in order to be this way, to be sheep in the midst of wolves, Jesus says his people need three characteristics. And you see those characteristics really in the animals that he references, right? So, so notice the first one, he says that we're to be sheep. We're sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And now, in church, when someone mentions sheep, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Sheep are dumb. Thank you, Jordan. You got it. <laughs> he works with youth all the time, so it's just it's right there on the t- Sheep are dumb, right? But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. That's not the reference that we need to be thinking about. He's not saying, hey, you're dumb, so go be dumb in the midst of wolves. That would be horrible. That's that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, like sheep, you need to be peaceful and nonviolent 
and have a complete dependency on your shepherd. If you are going to be surrounded by enemies, you need to understand you are not strong enough and wise enough to guide yourself through that terrible situation. You need to be like a sheep and need to be peaceful, nonviolent, and completely dependent on your shepherd. And so if this is true, you're going to be peaceful in the midst of wolves who want to kill you. You don't need to be dumb. You need to be what? Wise, like a serpent. Now, that's also kind of strange, right? Because throughout the Bible, we know that serpents is always associated with the bad guys, right? So Jesus says you're to be like a serpent, which seems odd. But he's saying you need to be wise and you need to be crafty, especially in the way that you go about your lives, right? Because, I mean, just think about a snake, for an instance. I know you don't want to, but, but for a moment, just think about a snake. My wife especially is like about to plug her ears. So what happens when most people see a snake? Scream, wow. Kill it. Come on, people. You <laughs> Stomp its head and crush it. You know? <laughs> no, but that, like most people, if you don't scream, your natural instinct is like, I've got to find a way to kill this thing. Because every normal person hates snakes. Amen, church? Every normal person <laughs> hates snakes. Only the weirdos like them. And so, but think about what snakes do. I don't know if someone has a pet snake and I just offended you, but I'll say worse to offend you later, so just hold on. What do snakes do? They know that they're hated, and so they hide themselves, right? They never really reveal themselves to the people who want to kill them. They're crafty about how they go about their way of life. They never pursue the people who want to stomp on them or hit them with a shovel over their head. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. He's like, you need to be wise in how you go about your life. You don't need to just pursue enemies and cause trouble for the sake of causing trouble. Be as wise as a serpent in how you navigate the dangers that are going to surround you as you go out into these hungry hungry wolves. But then he says, because you're to be crafty and shrewd, which we typically think of as being bad things, right? He says, you also need to be innocent as doves. Now let's just get one thing clear. None of us here, none of us is innocent, right? We're all guilty. None of us is totally good. The Bible says you're not good. So it's not just me saying it. Jesus says it. We're not innocent all the time, but the innocence that Jesus is talking about here is innocence that comes from having pure intentions. Uh, In in other words, this word in Greek, it means don't be double-minded. Don't be double-tongued. Don't have dual purposes. Don't, Don't go to reach people for Christ and say, hey, I'm doing this for the sake of Christ because I want to glorify him, while also in the back of your mind going, but it'd be great if I got famous too. Or it'd be great if they gave me money and I maybe got rich off this as well. He's saying, no, be innocent as doves. Be crafty, but have pure intentions as you seek to reach people for Jesus. And so here's what I want you to just understand. I want you to see what Jesus is doing here. He is explaining with brutal honesty what you can expect as his followers. And Jesus doesn't sugarcoat things, does he? Personally, I like that because when people sugarcoat reality, all they do is they mislead us and they leave us totally unprepared for what lies ahead, right? Like I remember I had so many different stories of this, but I guess you can say I've been misled a lot in my life. But one thing in particular is I remember when I was starting out ministry, I was young and naive. I was actually 19, didn't just look 19, but I actually was 19 at the time. So I was 19, starting out in ministry, and I had this idea, a novel idea. I was like, oh man, I got my first job at a church then. I was like, this is going to be great. I'm going to be working at a church. They're all Christians. They all love Jesus. 
This is going to be the best place to work ever. We're all going to get along. There's never going to be any fighting because we love Jesus and we're all about the same thing, making Jesus known. And nobody told me otherwise. (laughs) Nobody said, what are you, dumb, you 19-year-old? And so I went in there. I was just, all right, let's all be best friends and love Jesus and tell others about Jesus. And then I was hit with the reality of what I could actually expect, which was there's still people doesn't matter if they love Jesus. They're still people. They're still sinful. And so I was betrayed. I was talked bad about. There was all sorts of infighting and backstabbing, all this kind of stuff. And I just remember being like dumbfounded thinking, what just happened? I thought we were Christians. I thought we loved Jesus. Like, aren't we all supposed to get along? And then I was hit with the reality. But see, the thing is, if anyone on earth had just said, hey, guess what? Ministry is not going to be that different from working in a secular job. And I can attest to that even more still today. It's not that different from working in a secular job. If anyone had said that to me, I could have actually been prepared for what I was going to face. But because no one told me what I was actually going to face, I was totally unprepared for it. And Jesus doesn't want that to happen to us. That's why he's saying this. He's not trying to just scare you for the sake of scaring you. He's not trying to push you away. He is saying, I don't want you to be unprepared for what you're actually going to face if you decide to follow me. This is what you can expect. You are going to go out as sheep, not to a bunch of other sheep, not to a bunch of loving shepherds. You are going to go out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And so if we want to be able to endure this hatred and this persecution, this is what we need to understand. We must pursue peace, but prepare for persecution. That's what you need to understand as a Christ follower. What's it going to take to be able to endure this hatred and this persecution that's coming your way? You have to be understanding of your situation, the reality you're going to face. And so you must pursue peace, but prepare for persecution. You see, this is why I can't lie to you. You know, I, I, I wish, that I, oh, actually I don't wish, forget I said that. I will never be that preacher where you come here on a Sunday morning and you're going to leave every Sunday morning feeling good about yourself. You can say amen. It's not going to hurt my feelings. I consider that doing my job. So that's never going to be me. You're not going to walk in here and leave here every Sunday morning feeling good about yourself and leave here thinking, oh man, life is going to be great. I don't have to worry about sickness. I don't have to worry about persecution or hatred. Everybody's going to just love me because I love Jesus. I can't do that to you. I can't and I won't. There are a lot of preachers who will do that. So if you want something like that, I can tell you where their church is and I'll send you there. But that's not going to be us because I cannot leave you unprepared for what you're going to face. And I don't want to mislead you about what you're going to face. I want you to understand what it is going to mean to be a follower of Christ. You see, we have to rid ourselves of this fairy tale version of Christianity that is propagated today. We have got to stop believing that to be a Christian means that life is going to be all sunshine and rainbows all the time. Because it's not. Just because you're a Christian does not mean that nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. I can point you to some of the most godly people I know who have lived a life of suffering and trial after trial after trial. And yet, as I said, they are some of the godliest people I know. Just because you follow Jesus does not mean that you're going to get that easy, carefree life. And if you believe that, not only are you in for a rude awakening, but you're also going to be totally unprepared for the reality that you are going to face as a Christian. And so you need to come to terms with it now, right? I mean, that's, it's kind of like when you're telling a kid he's got to get a shot. 
A parent has two options at that point. You can do what I don't do, and you can say to the kid, hey, listen, it's, I know you're scared, but it's not going to hurt. I mean, you won't even feel a thing. It'll be quick. It'll just be over, and you might not even feel it at all. Then you'll get candy and a sticker. That's one approach you can do, and then the kid's going to actually get the shot, and then boom, immediately pain, and then they don't trust you anymore, and now you've got a screaming, crying kid, and again, they don't trust you, and so the next time it's going to be even more miserable. You could take that approach, or you could take the Alex Chapman approach, which is just, hey, Judah, guess what? It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt when they put it in. It's going to hurt for a little bit afterward. It's probably going to hurt on the car ride home. You might not get a sticker. You keep crying. I'm definitely not going to give you a treat or anything. Best thing you can do is just come to terms with the reality. Because if I've got to hold you down, if doctors have to hold you down, no matter what, you are getting the shot today. There's no way around it. Best thing you can do, come to terms with it, suck it up, and just prepare yourself for what you're going to face. Parent of the year. (laughs) Just kidding. That's why Anna and I, we balance each other out, because she's the cuddly one. So. <laughs> yeah, you know, kid falls down, you just kick him right back out there, right? Like, hey, rub some dirt on it. That's what we did growing up. <laughs> you have to prepare them for the reality that they're going to face. And you can sugarcoat it all you want, but is it going to change the reality they're going to face? No. It's just going to leave them unprepared. And so Jesus doesn't want that to be us as his followers. He says, I want you to be peaceful. I want you to be nonviolent. I want you to pursue peace with the world and tell them how I am making peace between them and God through the blood of my cross. I want you to do that. Be wise. I want you to be innocent in your nature. But please understand, you have to prepare for persecution because it's coming. You're going to go out to a bunch of people, church, who do not believe what you believe. Who do not agree with the things that you stand on and you believe in your heart. And they want nothing more than to do away with you and what you stand for. And if you are not prepared to face that, you're going to fall in the midst of persecution. And so, hey, maybe you're sitting here going, yeah, that's bad, but it can't get any worse, right? I'm glad you're here. Verses 18 through 20. This is what Jesus says. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. So notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, listen, it's not even just individuals you've got to worry about. He's saying that governments are actually going to be opposed to Christians and God's kingdom. He's saying that governments are going to drag Christians before them and make them bear witness before them because they have taken a stand for Christ. He's saying that the world and the world's entities are opposed to God and his kingdom. And so the question ultimately is, well, who are you going to obey? If obeying Christ means defying the government and paying the consequences of that defiance, are you willing to do it anyways? You know, I think back to to 2020 because so many Christians caved while a number of other Christians actually took a stand. You remember governments around the world, they were imposing these lockdowns and these restrictions and they were saying churches can't gather and if churches gather, they're going to be punished and especially the pastors of those churches, they're going to be punished most severely and so many Christians caved and they said, okay, we're going to obey man rather than God but so many other Christians said, we're going to obey God even if it means we have to defy the government. And I think about Canada in particular. I mean, a country that you think is unsuspecting, but they did this same thing. They said churches can't gather. Any churches found gathering are going to be punished, and the pastors most severely. 
And so many stopped. But there was one pastor named James Coates in his church who continued to keep meeting. And the government kept saying, you've got to stop meeting or we're going to do this, this, and that. And they said, well, we're going to obey God rather than man. And so they kept meeting. Then the Canadian government, if you can wrap your minds around this, they actually built a fence around the church building and put guards out, armed guards around the church to prevent them from gathering. Now you can make a whole lot of, you know, assumptions about what their intention was there. I'll just leave that to you. But that's what they did. And the church kept meeting. And so eventually they arrested Pastor Coates and they threw him in jail for 35 days. And just like Jesus said here, he was dragged before a judge and he was forced to bear witness. And this is what he said. He said, I'm simply here in obedience to Jesus Christ. And it's my obedience to Christ that has put me at odds with the law. The court is aware that I'm contesting the legitimacy of that law. But please make no mistake. I'm not trying to make a point. I'm not a political revolutionary. Now, it's important to note that because so many people tried to make it a political issue. It's not a political issue. Please hear me say this again. Obedience to Christ is never a political issue. It's a gospel issue. It has to do with the heart. And so he was saying, I'm not here trying to make a political statement. I'm not here trying to take sides or do this or that. The only reason I'm here is because I choose to obey Christ. And I understand that in this circumstance, that means I'm going to be punished by you. So be it. Don't miss that, church. He knew what he was signing up for. He wasn't surprised by it. He was expecting it. And when the moment came, are you going to be obedient to Christ, even if it means the government will punish you and you will have to go to jail, he said, I will be obedient to Christ no matter what. I wish we had more Christians like that today. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, hey, listen, pastor, I I get that. I appreciate him. Praise God for his faith. But I rarely find myself at odds with the government, which, again, that's another sermon. I don't have time to get into that. That's another issue. You never find yourself at odds with the government. But you maybe you're thinking that I don't find myself at odds with the government that much. So what does this have to do with me? Well, notice what Jesus says next. Verses 21 to 23. There's probably going to be a podcast episode on that coming out soon. Spoiler. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father is child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all. For my name's sake. Notice that. Are you excluded from that? You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you. Notice there's never if in this. When. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So notice what he's saying here. He's saying this persecution, it's not just going to come from these wolves. It's not just going to come from the governments. It's actually going to come from families. And if you're a Christian and you have unbelievers in your family, you know how this reality hits hard. He is saying that unbelieving family members are going to oppose their believing family members, even to the point where they might hand them over to death. He is saying that for the sake of Christ, there's going to be hostility and division within the family. And again, you might be thinking, well, pastor, I see that it says that. But surely no family would do this to each other just because of their religious convictions. But they do. There's a woman right now who's 31 years old. And she converted from Islam to Christianity when she was 11. 
She has been on the run for 20 years. And it's because her father is an imam, an Islamic teacher. And when he found out that she had converted to Christianity, he swore an oath saying that he was going to hunt her down himself and kill her himself. His daughter. And so she's been on the run for 20 years. She has had to move houses over 45 times within that 20 years because when her family found out that she had converted, every single person in her family pledged that same oath to hunt her down and kill her themselves. All because she became a believer in Jesus and decided to follow him. You see, there was no sympathy for her because she was family. There was no understanding. There was, she was hated and hunted down for the sake of Christ. And Jesus says, this is exactly what you can expect if you're going to follow me. And so what you need is you need endurance and perseverance. He says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. But I want you to notice something, church. Please notice it. Look at it on the screen. Get your own Bible out. The reason we endure is not to prolong our own lives or to avoid our death. The reason we endure is for the sake of Christ and Christ alone. To make his name known. To keep on bearing witness to him. To keep reaching others with the gospel of Christ that they will be saved. It's not for us. It is all for Jesus. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And until that time, we live to make Christ known. It is for his name's sake alone. And so if you want to endure the hatred and the persecution of this world, listen to me. We must love Christ and his mission more than our lives in the acceptance of man. If you want to be able to endure this type of hatred and this persecution that is going to come your way, we must love Christ and his mission more than our own lives in the acceptance of man. I mean, how else do you think Pastor Coates is able to embrace a a sentence in prison other than loving Christ more than his own life? How do you think you get a woman who the easiest thing she could do is just deconvert and go back to Islam but remains faithful to Christ? The only way that she's able to do that, even as her own family is hunting her down, trying to kill her, is because she loves Christ more than she loves her own life and the acceptance of man. One of my favorite stories ever is of uh, one of my favorite missionaries, John G. Patton. God called him to be a missionary to the New Hebrides, which is uh, an isle, like a string of islands that was totally inhabited by cannibals at the time. And he was a pastor of a church, and he told his church one day, I'm leaving you to go share the gospel with the cannibals. And they said, what are you doing? You've got a great ministry here. The Lord's blessing us. You've got people. We love you. Uh, You know, don't go do that. You're going to die. They said, if you go to them, you will die. And their life is not worth your life. So just leave them alone. One, in, one man in particular, he said, but the cannibals, you will be eaten by cannibals. And this was his reply. He said, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now. And your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. See, I could talk to you more harshly, but I don't. He said, I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. 
How on earth can a man take that kind of approach in his life other than loving Christ and his mission more than he loves even his own life? You see, David said it best in Psalm 63, 3. He said, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Oh, I wish Christians actually believed this today, that the love of God that we have in Christ is better than even life itself. I mean, when you truly believe this, it liberates you, church. It liberates you from that impulse to preserve your own life and to live for the approval of others. Because listen to me here, what does it matter if the entire world hates you, if the God of all creation loves you as a father loves his own child? What does it matter if they kill you, if the sovereign God who controls everything has promised to raise you back to life and give you an imperishable resurrection body and be with him forever? What does it matter if everything is against you, if God himself is for you? If we actually took God at his word and believed what he says, the church would be emboldened to actually live how God calls us to live. I wonder if the reason we're not living this way is because we don't actually believe the God that we claim to believe in. Maybe you're thinking, well, pastor, I don't really experience this in my life. I'm not really persecuted like you say I'm going to be. I'm not really hated like you say I should be. And listen to me, if that's you this morning, I want you to hear me on this. You should be concerned. Because Jesus says in Luke 6, 26, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. In other words, we should be concerned when everybody in the world speaks well of us and no one hates us. If you're not experiencing hatred from the world, it might be because the world doesn't know they should hate you and oppose you. Meaning, maybe you're sitting quietly when you need to stand up and speak out. You know, if you want a silly example, think about the game Whack-A-Mole, for an instance, okay, for a moment. The only moles that get hit are the ones that are doing what? Standing up, right? So maybe if you're not getting hit with hatred and opposition, it's because you're not actually standing up when you need to. Maybe no one has opposed you on abortion or on LGBT issues or on gender and sexuality, or addiction, or sexual promiscuity, because they don't actually know where you stand on those issues. Maybe you'd be experiencing a little more hatred if you would speak up and make your position known. You know, one of my favorite quotes by John Piper, when he was speaking about Christians who have been killed for their faith throughout history. Actually, I love this quote so much, I printed it out and framed it in my office. Piper, speaking about Christians who have been killed for their faith throughout history, he said, They weren't martyred for being vague. Faithful Christians throughout history have made their positions known. And if the world is going to hate them for it, so be it. If the world is going to persecute them for it, so be it. If the world is going to hunt them down and kill them for it, so be it. You see, we think we'd be great and better off if we just had more friends and more people liked us. Maybe you need a couple more enemies, Christians. Maybe it's time for you to stand up and speak out for Christ and let the world do what they're going to do. But make the gospel known. We're far too timid today when we need to actually stand up and speak out. If, you, if all people are speaking well of you, if you experience no hatred or opposition, 
or pushback, you should look at your life today and ask yourself, am I actually living boldly for Christ? Am I spending too much time sitting quietly when I need to stand up and speak out? Because if you live the faith in the way that Jesus calls us to live the faith, then you will be hated and you will be persecuted. And if you're not actually experiencing that, then you're probably not actually living out the faith, as Jesus says to And the only thing that's going to motivate you to begin to take a stand for Christ and live boldly for him is if you love him and his mission more than you love your own life and the acceptance of man. And can I give you some comfort in the midst of all that scary bad news? Your greatest comfort in all this is that when the world does that to you, they are treating you as they treated Jesus. Because that's what he says in verses 24 to 25, right? He says, a disciple is not above his master nor a servant above, or a disciple above his teacher or a servant above his master. Listen to these words. You can underline it in your Bible if you want. It is enough. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. And they called the master of the house Beelzebul. How much more will they malign those of their household, of his household? You see, here's what concerns me, right? Is I'm always amazed by people I've encountered in my own life who have said, you know, people would like you more if you were more like Jesus. If you were just more like Jesus, people would like you more. And anytime someone says that to me, I'm like, again, have you read the Bible? He is Jesus. And look what they did to him. They mocked him. They taunted him. They lied about him. They insulted him, they spat upon him, they betrayed him, and ultimately they crucified him on the cross. So don't tell me if we were more like Jesus, people would like us more. If we were more like Jesus, people would hate us more. I'm even more concerned by the amount of Christians today who will say things like, I just want to be more like Jesus. And that's a great thought to have. But then here's what happens. Persecution comes. And then they're hated. And adversity comes. And then they throw up their hands and they go, Lord, why is this happening to me? What have I done to anger you, O God? And I'm like, it's what you prayed for, right? (laughs) Didn't you say you wanted to be more like Jesus? This is what they did to Jesus. This is how they treated him. You see, here's what concerns me. We're running into this idea again that that we have this fairy tale idea of the faith that if I'm just uh, believing Jesus, if I'm faithful to Jesus, I get this easy, carefree life. And that's not what Jesus says. I mean, 99% of Christians say they want to be more like Jesus while at the same time thinking they deserve to live an easier life than Jesus. That's probably the thing that concerns me most. 99% of Christians say they want to be more like Jesus while at the same time thinking that they deserve to live a better and easier life than Jesus. Listen to me. If the Savior suffered, you're going to suffer. If the Savior was insulted, you're going to be insulted. If the Savior was hated, you are going to be hated. If he was maligned and abused and persecuted, so will you. It's what we can expect. But listen, here's our great comfort. Jesus says this in John 15. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. So pause and ask if you're loved by the world and then reread this verse. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Remember the word that I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But listen, most important verse. But all these things they will do to you. Why? On account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. So here's what I want to remind you of this morning, Christian. The reason the world hates us is because the world hates Jesus. The reason they reject the gospel we proclaim is because they hate the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They hate to be told that they are sinners in need of the mercy and grace of God because they are currently enemies of God who stand condemned under the wrath of God. The reason the world is so desperately trying to silence Christians and prevent the kingdom of God from expanding is because they hate Jesus. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with our Savior. And so listen, we don't need a life of ease and comfort. That would be the worst thing in the world for a Christian to have. We don't need everybody to like us and accept us. Listen to me, church. It is enough to be like Jesus. Do you actually believe that? Do you hold to that? Do you cling to that? Whatever the world is going to do to us, Whatever they are going to say, let them do it. Let them say it. For it is enough for me to be like my Savior. And so this is what you can expect. If you want to become a Christian, this is the life that awaits you. Jesus says you are going to be like sheep in the midst of wolves. He says that because of that we must pursue peace, but prepare for that persecution. We have to endure that persecution by loving Jesus and his mission more than we love even our own lives or the acceptance of men. And then most importantly, we have to content ourselves and find all of our satisfaction in being like Jesus. It's a dangerous mission, is it not? It's not one that many people want to sign up for, but here's the good news for Christians. Jesus has promised never to leave us or forsake us. He said he will be with us to the end of the age. And so this church, this is what you are signing up for when you sign up to follow Christ. My question to you this morning is, are you prepared for this life? Let's go to God.